Hey everybody, it's John Lamoureux. Thanks for listening to The Hustle. All right, this week we are talking to Chaz Jenkel. Now, if you recognize that name or the song that is playing right now, you are probably one of two things. Either A, you're European and you're probably over 40, 45 years old, or B, you're like me and you're an obsessive fan of the movie Real Genius. That's how I knew this song and the name Chaz Jenkel. And up until recently, I thought that's all he'd ever done. So I thought I'd be really clever by trying to get him on the podcast thinking, that's all we'd need to talk about. Hey, how'd you get your song in Real Genius? And what else have you done with your life? And I was completely, completely wrong. Turns out this guy has been around forever and he's had some major, major career highlights that we talk about in this interview. When you think about the major influencers on advancing high-end best dance music of the disco era as it sort of mutated and evolved into new wave, you would come up with Kraftwerk, Giorgio Moroder, and Nile Rodgers. And Chaz Jankel, this fresh-faced white British guy, is as good as all three of those people combined. And I'm just blown away by the output that this guy has gotten out there. And I am now kind of an obsessed fan. I want to hear every single note he's ever put out. Now, luckily, a lot of people give me a lot of the feedback that they love the music snippets. They want to hear more. You're in luck. There's a lot of them in this one. He actually only had about 25 minutes to talk to me and bless him, gave me about twice that long. So we talk a lot about music, a lot about his career. There's a lot of examples in here. I hope that you like what you hear and you grow as obsessive about it as I have. He called me from his home outside of London. Jenkel, thank you very much for uh, talking to me today. I really, really appreciate it. I, uh, I always kick these interviews off with sort of a brief uh, explanation of how I got turned on to the artist in the first place. And your story is, uh, is a lot different. In fact, I, I feel like I embarrassingly kind of almost owe you an apology because I'll set the stage. So a couple of weeks ago, I'm sitting in my living room watching Real Genius for like the hundredth time. That Depending on the day and my mood, that is usually my all-time favorite movie. And uh, I had reached, yeah. (laughs) Have you even seen it? Yeah, I've seen, you know, I've never seen the movie all the way through. I've seen clips of it, yeah. That's so funny. I've talked to a lot of people for this podcast who have songs in movies that I love, and so many of them have never seen the movie or even really know what I'm talking about. That's so funny. So, um So I'm watching the movie. I recently launched this podcast where I try to find, you know, kind of more obscure musicians. And I thought, Chaz Jankel. I had downloaded the song uh, years ago because I loved the song so much. But as far as I knew, that's all you had ever done. And so I'm thinking, 
this should be easy. I'll I'll just find this Chaz Jankel guy and I'll talk to him about how he got a song in the Real Genius soundtrack, and it, it'll be interesting, and that'll be it. So I immediately send you an, uh, a, a note on Facebook, and you agree, and so I'm like, oh, great. So then that starts the, well, I should probably start looking into other things that Chaz Jankel has done. My world just got cracked open, and and I hope you, I hope you know that I am being 100% sincere here, where... My mind is kind of blown. I, you're, you have become, in just like two short weeks, the kind of artist that I need to know every piece of music you've probably ever put out there. It uh-huh. is amazing. And, and I, I mean, I'm kind of getting goosebumps as I say this. I really thought that all, and it's probably because I'm in the States, and it looks to me like everything you've done, I mean, you're kind of a big deal in the U.K. Um. Well, you, 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 because now you're sort of you're, you're zoning in on me. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I've had um, I've had a good life in England. Yeah. You know I mean, like, and England's a very different kind of scene to America. Let me just briefly say that um, I, I was I started a band called the Blockheads with a guy called Ian yep. Dury. Now, yep. the, the, they never we never really cracked the states, and I'll tell you why in a moment. Um, but that the band was formed in the late 70s and was very successful. Uh, we were very much very left field. Um, Ian's lyrics were very witty, but they were socially relevant. He was very politi- politically astute. Um, and he was like a kind of working class hero, Ian Dury. Mm-hmm. Now, the, he, Ian died in, in the year 2000. Um, yep. But the band, but then... Um, a friend of Ian's and you, who used to help him um, took over the, the, the sort of writing and became our lead singer. He, 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 he's got a mm. similar sort of Cockney sensibility, which means a kind of London-esque kind yeah. of sensibility. So I've been writing with, with him since 2000. Um, our latest album is called Same Horse, Different Jockey, okay. and it's by got the it. Blockhead. Um, if you just went onto Blockhead's website, you know you'll, you'll see a lot about the band. And um, oh, sure. You know, um, it's it's a very very popular band. With you know, like we, we do gigs all around England, and now and again we go out of England, and um, you'll see three generations of fans there. Yeah. I mean, you know, grand, granddad, dad, and his, you know, and maybe yeah. their children. Um, yeah. So that's one side of what I've been doing for many years, and then going back to nineteen. 80, I think it was, um, just after I'd had a, um, I think we'd had a huge hit with it, a song called Hit Me With Your Rhythm Stick with, mm-hmm. with, with, with Ian. Every woman, every man, hit me with your rhythm stick, hit me, hit me, je t'adore, ich liebe dich, hit me, hit me, hit me, hit me with your rhythm stick, hit me slowly, hit me quick, hit me. And we were touring, and then just one day I was—we were actually in Amsterdam—and this, this tune just came to my head, which eventually became "I Know Corrida," which um, Quincy Jones um, I was, yeah. went on to record. I, that was the beginning of my recording contract with A&M, and I yeah. made—I made four albums with them. And um, on the third album, I think it was—I think it was the third album. There was the song number one. Which, which uh, you know, was why you called mm-hmm. me. <laughs> yeah. um, 
that song incidentally went to number one in France uh, in, the, in their national chart. I went there and I promoted it. Um, it was originally written, Ian wrote that song originally for a film that Bob Geldof was in. Yeah, really? you, know, you know Bob Geldof. Yeah, of course, yeah. of course. What song oh, yeah. was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but it was rejected, and I had oh. the melody. Ba 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 da da da. You uh-huh. know, and Ian just you know fitted Ian Dury fitted that lyric that he'd written for the film Number One uh-huh. um, to my to, to my melody, and that's how it came about. Yeah, I didn't realize you, that that was essentially a co-writing. Uh, credit on that song. I assume that was all you. That's amazing. Oh, well, so you know, I wish when, I was, but you know, like I mean, uh, most of what I do, a lot of what I do, are co-writes. You know, but, okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. When I uh, again, I, I almost postponed our interview because I felt like I need more time to absorb everything Chaz Jenkel has done. So I've been. The, Ian Dury is one of those names that, as a music lover, I've always heard, and I knew that he was kind of big over there. But not he. I'd always meant to sort of check him out, uh, but never really got around to it until preparing for to talk to you. So I've been listening to a ton of Ian Dury, a ton of uh, what, um, Kilburn, yeah. your earlier band. Yeah, yeah. Diction very bad, friction double rich, brazen little hussy, rock and rolling bitch. When it comes to business, take off like a jet. Rockin's her vocation, she's a very high road dad. Come on, there ain't no need to hustle. Young man, slow down your hustle, bustle. You can take your time, young man. Some I joined the last version of that, Ian and the Kilburns, um, and that's how I got on board the uh, the, the Ian Dury wagon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I um, so I but then um, your solo stuff. I got to tell you, I don't. You know, you reminded me so much of two of my very favorite artists. Actually, it's an odd combination of literally Giorgio Moroder, and <laughs> but with the sort of this artistic restlessness of Joe Jackson. And uh-huh. I, lo- I don't know if that resonates with you at all, but, I mean, you've made some cutting-edge music that is mind-blowing to me. I was just watching the Quincy Jones, this video of Quincy Jones doing I Know Corita on uh, YouTube. and Lewis Johnson and Greg Gillingames yeah. performing yeah. your music. How does that yeah. feel? Oh, great. Honestly. I mean, you know, I, 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 I get a lot of respect. I mean, I remember one time on Facebook, I put up, you know, a, a photograph that I'd found of Quincy and myself when, when I met him, you know, and, there's a, you know, we, we, we're leaning over a Fender Rhodes electric piano in, in a studio in L.A. I didn't even know about this photograph. Somehow... 
some, you know, I, I found it. I, you know, and I, so I, I posted it on my, my Facebook, and I had more reactions to that than anything else. So I, I think yeah. it was like, you know, a hundred people immediately went, wow, wow, you know, check yeah. this out, etc. Um, no, it, it was, um, well, it was a validation for me. I remember when I wrote sure. this song, I thought, this is big. This is big. This is bigger than me. And um, interestingly enough, interestingly enough, um, I mean, I did a gig about four years ago, I, and I, I, I put a, an album out about four years ago called The Submarine Has Surfaced. And it was... It. Have you heard it? Yeah, I've, I've listened to, like I said, I listened to everything I could find, like oh on my Spotify. God, there's a lot of stuff. You see, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of yeah, stuff. Yeah, I know. Anyway, I'm still overwhelmed, but I'm going to get to all of it. Oh, my God. Well, listen, John, so anyway, so I did this gig at a great uh, venue in London called The Jazz Cafe. And, you know, you get all kinds of acts going through there. I mean, I saw McCoy Tyner there many years ago. And, you, all, you know, like you get big jazz acts, you get smaller jazz. And I put on a gig as myself, and I had a 14-piece band. And the, 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 the kind of climax to the show was I performed Dino Corrida. But, you know, and I had, a, as I say, a 14-piece band. It was massive. I had, you know, horn section, uh-huh. beat, backing singers. And, the, and what I did was I'd, I kind of did my original Dino Corrida, but I referenced Quincy in it. So I... I actually put a bass solo in it, and it, you know, it was, it took the top of the, the house off. I mean, it really yeah. was exciting yeah. um, because I very rarely perform it because I don't know, I, I, I've, I haven't really focused so much on myself as an artist. I, I you know, of, of late, um, although I still write my own stuff, and I'm, you know, after I've finished speaking to you, I'm, I'm, I'm writing a song. And, um, you know, maybe I can just send you stuff from time to time just for your own personal you know, I would love it. release. Because sure. just because you are genuinely interested, you know, you're, you're looking at a man here who actually delves into a lot of different areas of music. For, for example, tell. like, um, you know, I did a number of film scores, but one, one thing I did the, the other day, which is really, as we say in England, ask about face. I don't know whether you use that, <laughs> that expression. The wrong way of doing things. But uh-huh. I suddenly thought, I want, I've got this idea. I was writing this um, piano, you know, I write a lot of piano, impressionistic piano pieces, and and I was playing one, and my, my, my wife said, she said, Elaine said, that, you know, that would make a great film, you know, it'd be great for a movie. So it started making me think, I'm like, yeah, you know, you're right. And then I thought, how about, you know, I thought, what about if, I'd love to orchestrate it, and then I suddenly thought, what about a, a Japanese movie? You know, because it, it, it had this feeling about a Japanese movie, you know, like if, this sort of, Soaring, romantic, tragic. Uh-huh. I could see all these elements, you know. But the problem uh-huh. was, I, I had to make no movies. The, only, the movie was in my head, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I thought, it doesn't matter, because I, you know, I thought, I'm going to write it. So I did. And it, it, it's really, wow. you know, when you hear it, you, you, I'm, I'm going to send it to you. And uh, it's, I've just called it Within My Heart.
because I, you know, I had to call it something, you know, just yeah, to, you know, yeah. to document it. Um, um, but it, interestingly enough, I know Corita. Um, you know, now I didn't write the lyric for that, and when um, I sent, you know, I gave the melody to a, 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 a new friend at the time. Uh-huh. And when he said, you know, I've got this great lyric for you, I know Corita. I said, I said, I, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, I, I didn't really <laughs> know. And then, then he explained the film by Oshima and, you know, and Beyond the uh-huh. Realm of the Senses and this kind of whole sort of, you know, this asphyxiation wow. stuff. and all that. It's heavy, heavy stuff. I said, hey, man, you know, I, I just wanted something, you know, you know, I, I can't go on living without you. Like, or, uh-huh. you know, I, I wanted something a, little, a bit more romantic, but not quite as deep, heavy as that. But, um, you know, it, it didn't stop the song from being successful, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, so, I mean, you mentioned when you when you wrote it, you felt like you had something big. I mean, mm. it's a, I'm curious, I'm curious how people know that, because, um, so i got a number of questions for you, but I'm going to start here. I mean, it's a, it's a long song, right? So clearly, yeah. if it's going to be played on the radio, it's going to be, it's going to be edited down into some kind of single version. Yeah, good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When you're I, I, writing it, do you know yeah. that? Do you think, well, I'm going to make it long, but I'm going to let radio, if they play it, do whatever they want with it? How, how, what goes through your mind when you know no, that you've got something big? Uh, all I know, I just remember that sensation. This has got, uh, it seems to have a, a, a massive kind of, hmm, I don't know. It, it had a, something transcendental about it that, that, okay. that it was outside of me. I was like the yeah. kind of conduit for it. Mm-hmm. That's all it mm-hmm. felt like, you know. And that's all music is, you know. When anybody, anybody yeah. you know, it, it, you know, like if you take Sting's "Every Breath You Take," right? Mm-hmm. Who knows what he was listening? Something he, he was. Those chords have been used a thousand times more. Right. You know, right. and uh, you know, and he probably—I don't know what made him breath, every breath you take. Maybe he was looking at himself in the mirror, you know, like you know, using some oral hygiene, you know, like or cleaning his teeth. <laughs> and he breathed, breathed out, and he, you know, like the the, the, the mirror went smoky. You know, you know like, uh-huh. yeah, every breath. You know what I mean? It's he, sometimes these things um, aren't. <laughs> you know, yeah, one thought. You don't know. Please, you don't know. You don't know. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm one of the. Oh, go ahead, please. No, I, 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 I'm. So that 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 was it. Um, coming, you know, coming back to your point about being eight minutes long. I think at that point, um, I thought I had a bit of a blank canvas. Um, A and M Records had signed me just on the back of that song. I know Creed, and there was another song on my first album called "Am I Honest with Myself Really." And Ian once said to me, Ian Deary once said to me, you know, he said, yeah, Chad, he said, uh, I was talking to Pete Townsend the other day, and he said, you know, your, he said, yeah, Pete said, yeah, you know, your mate Chad, he said, have you heard his album? He said, 
He's got a track on his second side, which is 14 and a half minutes long, you know. And uh, he went, yeah, I know. He said, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah how do you get, you know, what's going on? And to be honest, um, really, I was in need, like a director needs an editor, you know. Uh-huh. But there, uh-huh. there, there weren't no editor around. And A&M yeah. were allowing me to, they'd signed me on those two songs. So That's incredible. Um, but it was in the, you know, maybe the times were different then, you know, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And when, when I and when I heard Quint, you know, when I got the call that Quincy wanted to do it, Quincy Jones, uh-huh. I I knew that. Well, I mean, we were all in my my, my studio. We were all waiting for the day that uh, you know that the messenger arrived and then he came and there was this little forty five single, you know, forty five yep. RPM single, and we all rushed to the record deck and put it on and there it was, you know, like three wow. and a half minutes long, and I thought, ah. Now that's how you do it, you know. I mean, um, that must have been one of the highlights of your life. I mean, Quincy was at his, in my opinion, his hottest, like mid seventies to mid eighties, basically. That whole Brothers Johnson, Michael, yeah. jo- Michael Jackson period. Um, yeah. You must have been losing your mind. It was it was amazing. It was amazing, and it was lovely. I tell you why it was really good as well, because I'd had a lot of you know, like the Ian and the Blockheads were, were a massive band, as I was explaining, mm-hmm. but. You know, I hadn't really had any real success on, on as on my uh, as myself yeah, on my own. Yeah, yeah. So for that to come along, it, it validated my own identity outside of the block Ian and the blockade, sure. and that was good because it just you totally. know it was it, because Ian was a very strong character, really wanted to be the gang boss. That's how he yeah. saw himself, and we were all yeah. his gang. So it kind of it was good for his his ego so well, um and everything was there the band was there to support that but with, with so it was really important that i had my own corner that i had my own life and identity and that's what that song i know Corita did it validated that yeah now one of the focuses of this podcast is money basically it's how how do people how do musicians like you maintain careers in music over the years when Maybe they were kind of on the fringe to begin with, right? Uh, you telling me this story about like kind of composing a film score, a score to a film that doesn't even exist, right? You've clearly, and yeah. you don't have to get too specific if you don't want to, but you've clearly been successful enough in your career up to date that you have the the artistic and the financial freedom to chase a muse like that, and and have it, and not worry about. You know, is it worth the investment? Is it worth the time? How do you pay your bills, essentially? Well, listen, as yeah. long as I can, you know, pay the bills and pay my mortgage and, you know, take care of that, um, I've always been a little bit, um, you know, the, 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 then then I'm a sort of a little bit, um, what's the word, extravagant with music. I mean, I, 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 I it is my life. I mean, I'm up most mornings till two or three in the morning, like, tinkering with a tune. I mean, I... It, it, for some reason, um, it, it's the passion of that that drives it. Yeah. As I say, as long as I can, you know, pay my bills, then I, I luxuriate in in in, in being a musician. Right. And are you still? I mean, are, do you still collect royalties or anything oh, like yeah, that well, on that, this hey, whole stuff? Hey, listen, that's the bottom line of it. You know, yeah, if I didn't yeah. get royalties from, you know, um, the, the, the songs, we, some of the songs we've talked about. Uh-huh. Um, I wouldn't be able to do this. It's yeah. Literally, yeah, you're absolutely bang on. That's how I do it. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. 
So you mentioned uh, I was reading your bio on your webpage, and you mentioned your fledgling solo career, um, which mm. I, uh, other than the first album, I, I'm having a hard time tracking down the other three or four. I, right. I, I can't even I'll find them online. So, sorry to interrupt. Go ahead, John. I'm oh, sorry to interrupt. Go on. No, that's fine. I'm just saying, what um, what was motivating you? I don't know much about those albums. What was motivating you to continue to make music at the time? Were they selling? Were they being released at least? Um, They were being released. Um, I, I was always kind of quite a, sort of left field sort of artist. You know, interestingly enough, there's, there's another song that was... Um, um, on my, it was actually on my second album called Questionnaire, and mm-hmm. uh, the song was called Glad to Know You. And it went number yeah. one in the American dance chart. Um, and um, it's, it's a massive, it still is uh-huh. a massive dance, uh, club hit, you know. Um, yeah. Um, so the, 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 the albums were producing these sort of byproducts. Um, okay. In themselves, they weren't chart-topping albums. But then, for example, you'd get a song like Number One yeah. um, that would get used in a movie. And you know, went to number one in France, you know, you, it was the last song I just mentioned, Glad to Know You. Um, and there was that, that was on a 12-inch with two other songs, Questionnaire and Three Million Cents. Oh, and th- 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 they, they were quite groundbreaking at the time. You yeah, know, a lot of people were. said to me, the music they hear today, it really sounds like um, um, it was influenced. You know, I was the kind of yeah. pioneer of a lot of what we hear today, you know. You were. It sounds that charts. way. But, you know, like, the, uh, I mean, house music, for example, is really big here now. I mean, it exactly. was all over the charts. Um, whereas back then it was kind of, you know, we, we were, I suppose we were on the, the beginning of it. You know, we were sort of like, I mean, I was just picking up from, I suppose, um, you know, disco, I suppose, or something like that. Yeah, well, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I was watching a video of uh, Glad to, you doing Glad to Know You on TV. Um, it was on YouTube. Sorry. <laughs> I, is, I, I, I wanted to ask you about this. Grapes in my in my underwear, and there's a very funny story that goes with that, which is that um, that was American Bandstand, and that was on the back of the song being voted number one in the Hot 100 for Billboard. Okay. And uh, um, and 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 so I went to LA, and I was performing the song. And Maurice White and Quincy Jones were sitting in the front row. There was 450 people, and the, oh. the show was being filmed. And so uh, the, the Jones girls, do you remember Nights Over Egypt? I don't know if you remember them. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I don't know if they mean anything. They were a kind of big club. Anyway, they were hosting the show, and so I'm behind okay. the curtain with this drummer, you know, who's going to mime, and just me. And uh, I hear... Um, and our next artist has been voted Dance Artist of the Year. Please put your hands together for Chaz Jankel. And the audience 
applaud and the, the curtains open and I'm expecting to hear Glad to Know You, right? But as I walk down the steps, they played This Is A Man's World by James Brown, right? Really? And, oh my God, yes. Yeah, so, and, and I thought, I mean, I was practically at the front of the stage by the time I'd realised uh-huh. this because I was so into getting my hat together, right? And then I, I, I thought, what the hell? And I sort of like went, I somehow, for some reason, went into reverse motion as if the you know, you're playing a video backwards, yeah? Uh-huh, and uh-huh. the audience were cracking up. They were just laughing their heads off. And I was, like, red as, be- as a beetroot. Oh, my and, God. And then... I can't believe this. Yeah. And that was that was right before what you saw. So then they said... Oh, and then they re-ran it. You know, they got the song lined uh-huh. up properly. And that's what you see. And, and so what you see is a very stiff performance. You know, very... Uh, well... Almost. It was yeah. it was almost performance art. I mean, I was watching it because you. I mean, you spend ha- like half the song with your back to the audience, kind of oh, shaking your you. shaking your booty, yeah. and you got yeah, that yeah. big what like camel hair coat on or whatever. Yeah. And I'm watching yeah, yeah. this thinking, is he is this like a performance art? Is he being kind of you know provocative yeah. and risque with yeah. his performance, or what is this? It was such a trip. Yeah, I I don't really know. I mean, you know, you have to remember that. I mean, I mean, I know it was an Australian flying jacket that my a friend of mine who was really into retro clothing gave to me, and um, you know, I it was, I don't know. I was performing. Oh, you know, I mean, I, so I had the great. same birthday. As, I had the same birthday as Charlie Chaplin. That's all I can say. You know. Okay. And, you know, okay. <laughs> Yeah, my my wife my wife often says, you know, I should have been a mime artist, um, uh-huh. you know, because I'm always I, I do mess around a bit like that, but um, no good time. They were good times. It was a yeah. really good time for me. I loved that t- part of my life, you know. Yeah, I bet. my son actually, my son is is doing really well in music now. I have two sons. Good. My young my youngest son, yeah, you should check him out. His name's Shift Key, and it's spelled S H I F T. K three Y. And uh, he's just starting off, and you know he he's already he's only he'll be twenty two this month, and he's already you know he um um Robin he's he's been working with Robin Thick and Steel. Oh, wow. Oh yeah, I mean he's serious, mate. You know he's really wow. on it. Yeah. Mm. Huh. Right. Very interesting. Yeah. So um, when you were, um, I, I mean, I gotta, I gotta know your your early synth-based stuff is like I said, it reminds me a lot of Giorgio Moroder, and um, <laughs> I mean he's a genius. So this is, mm. I, I don't know how to be any more praiseworthy than that. Mm. Uh, oh. When you're writing stuff like. Like Glad to Know You and Three Million Cents. mind-blowing when you're writing that stuff and performing it are you aware that you're doing something that is 
cutting edge? Are you influenced by what are you influenced by? What's oh, going through your mind when you're doing it's, this? It's just purely, you know, purely, John. It's purely. And I remember when I wrote that song, Three Million Cents. It was like I wanted to just let my hair down on that tune. Uh-huh. Um, you know, there was no real script. I just had this idea about this, you know, this kind of repetitious, kind of incessant bass line. Um, yeah. That's all it was, and then everything else was kind of improvised on top of it. You know, it really was, and I thought because sometimes, you know, I, I my tendency I can be a little bit, I can cut the hair too short. Let's put it like that. If you, if you see what I mean, I can make an arrangement just too neat. It, it might start off kind of a bit wild, and then I trim this here, trim that, trim that, and then it ends up being a bit too safe for its own own good, in my opinion. And yeah. then I got to the end of the album, and I thought, you know what? I'm this track. I'm just going to be just going to do my thing. I'm just going to enjoy it. Uh, I also have to say that I had um, I um, I had help uh, from I'm just trying to think of Mark Mark Isham. Yeah, oh, Mark Isham. You, you probably know the name. Yeah, yeah he's great. Sure. He did cra- he did the music for Crash amongst other things. Yep. Really brilliant musician. Yep. He was in town, and he was a friend of a friend, and he helped program a very large Oberheim synthesizer, um, which had eight voices, which was a bit of a monster. So I did have help in, in you know, serious help in that in uh-huh. that area. Yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. Mm. Jeez. Now, at the time, I mean, going back a little bit before that, I mean, you you co-wrote at least some of the biggest songs that the Blockheads had success with like sex and drugs and rock and roll sex and drugs and rock and roll is all my brain and body need sex and drugs and rock and roll it's very good indeed keep your silly ways or throw them out the window in fact, I was going to tell you, I was listening to the BBC's Desert Island, Desert Island Discs podcast yeah. the other day, and they were yeah. interviewing uh, Bradley Wiggins, the Olympic cyclist, All right. Tour de France cyclist. And I, I assume you're familiar with that program. He picked Reasons to be Cheerful Part 3 as one of his Desert Island Discs. Reasons to be Cheerful Part 3. One, two, three. Summer Buddy Holly, the working folly, good golly Miss Molly, and boats. Hammersmith Pally, the Bolshoi Bally, jump back in the alley, add nanny goats, 18 wheelers camels, Dominica camels, all other mammals. Wow. Which I, wow. Yeah, which I thought was really interesting because here I was in the throes of kind of yeah. immersing myself in your music and then he picks that one. What, how did your life change? Um, how did your life change in, you know, literally and, and you know, uh, financially even when you, when these songs like Sex and Drugs, become huge hits, at least in the UK. How does your life change? Well, you know, that song was a big hit, but it, it was, wasn't played on the radio at the time. They refused to play oh, it. It was, okay. it was on... We have a, a sort of music paper called NME, the New mm-hmm. Musical Express, sure. and it was number one in that. So it was a kind of... A bit like a lot of punk music was not... It was, hmm, it was popular with on the street, yeah. but you wouldn't hear it on the radio. So, so a song like that didn't generate massive income to me. Okay. Um, it's always there, you know, in, in my royalty statement. And, um, you know, it, it, but something like Reasons to be Cheerful, you know, could be played on the radio. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and um, you know, there's, there's a, 
um, there was a, funny enough, it gets referenced quite a lot. There's a disabled theatre company called the Grey Eye Theatre Company that built a whole musical um, on that, you know, based around that, you know, well, some t- people on their way to a gig and all the, and it was called Reasons to be Cheerful. Um, and so huh. that was lovely to see them do that. Yeah. Um, and we still perform the song to this day. And, um, wow. you know, it, it's just got better and better. And that's what I love about, you know, I, I mean, I was just in the right place at the right mm. time, John. When I met Ian, I was just looking for a lyricist. And then suddenly this giant of a kind of poet, kind of eccentric, um, you know, figure uh, appeared in my life. But, I, I, yeah. you know, I did go out looking for it. It wasn't like I was, you know, it just kind of appeared on my doorstep. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I did go looking, yeah. Do you, how do you split your time now, um, is the majority of your time and focus made up with blockheads stuff or is it? Well, we, we do what about do you it, you know, like often, often I'm asked the question, you know, Oh, are, are you know, are you on tour at the moment? And my sort of slightly cynical reply is, well, if we stay out overnight, that's a short tour, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, because <laughs> right. there's seven of us, there's seven us in, in the band and just to, okay. for us to stay out, you know, it's expensive. So uh-huh. we, you know, um, we run our business very well. Our, you know, my co-keyboard player and uh, acts as our manager, Mickey Gallagher, and um, so we just, you know, we we have a very well-run cottage industry, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we we can feed all the mouths. Um, we, uh, you know, our merchandise does, you know, pays for the office, for example, our office. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, and it's nice. It feels it feels real. You know, I feel quite genuine as a result. Real. Well, um, so how do I fill my time? Okay, well, I'm not the earliest of risers, and you know, much to my wife's frustration, you know, most people have done half a day's work, and I'm, you know, and I'm sort of crawling around in my dressing gown. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I, and then I'll take a little pug for, so you know, I'll do my, I'll do, I've got a little strict yoga regime that I do every morning, mm-hmm. and okay. yeah, I've done it ever since the early eighties um, wow, when I had a. a yeah, well, it's, it's my last vestige of self-discipline, really. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I do that, and that stops me sort of, you know, getting, you know, like breaking bones and stuff. I think, uh-huh, or get, you uh-huh. know. Uh, and then I take our little pug down to the local park every day. You know, I go uh-huh. for a walk, and I and I just kind of breathe in the air and take uh-huh. in whatever the elements are that day. And then I, um, on the way back, I get myself a cappuccino. In uh, this, I've got some you know, some lovely um, Moroccan friends of mine called Adi and Nabia. And um, you know, I get myself a cappuccino and have a chat with them. Maybe get a roll, come home as I did today, put some cheese and tomato in it, and uh, have my lunch. And then I go to work. And I, and I, um, my studio is at the top of my house. It's a converted okay. attic. Um, which is where I'm speaking to you from right now. And I'm looking oh, out on the back. And I live in this really nice little area. It's a kind of, it's, um, it, it was built in the 30s. And, and it's, we, we, it's a, it was a movement called the Arts and Crafts um, Movement. So all the houses are kind of very, they're pragmatic, but it looks like a kind of Dorset village or a country village. Um, so it's lots of trees. Okay. I'm high up on a hill. Um, it's it's just very calm, very um, yeah. practical. It's like living in the countryside, but I'm, I'm literally 25 minutes from the centre of, you know, of London. Great. So it, it, and I, I think that's really 
you know, that's how I, when I grew up, I grew yeah. up in an area like that. So I like to have that, you know, one foot in the, in the country and one sure. foot in, in the city. You know, it's like, I think that's how I work best. You know? Yeah. Um, so and that's how routines, be my day. Yeah. Mm. These routines kind of feed your creativity. That's what, that's what puts you in your comfortable place mentally and creatively that allows you to continue going. I think so, John. I mean, I mean, you you've probably got a rhythm to your life, which you know uh, yeah. you, you, is, is suitable for you. And everybody else has their own rhythm. I mean, yeah. you know. Okay, so now I after I've spoken to you, I'm going to try and nail this lyric. A lyric. Um, I'm, I'm actually onto my ninth draft. I think it is. probably have some dinner around about you know 7 30 and often I'll, I'll i'll you know after dinner I'll, I'll come up i'll sneak back up here and um you know go back to work and yeah you know and, and it could be literally you know three o'clock in the morning before i you know i i stop you know sometimes right. I'll, I'll i'll break early might just go and have a drink up a nice little pub down the end of my road i'll just go and have a chat down there and come back um so, you know, it doesn't sound, possibly doesn't sound very exciting to other people, no. but it's what I love doing, you know. It sounds idyllic, you know? yeah. Mm. Sounds perfect. Do you, uh, that's amazing. So, I know you got to go. I'll just, uh, a couple more questions. Do you, do, do you still do uh, music, uh, or, or, I'm sorry, do you still do soundtrack work? I mean, I was kind of blown away. DOA, I saw that movie in the theater. I love that movie. Papers is one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, Earth Girls Are Easy. I had no idea you were so in my life before I realized you were in my life. So um, are you still doing these movie soundtracks? Um, I did do one recently. I I don't know if you saw the film Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll. No, I've heard about it, though. No, I haven't seen it yet. I want to. I think you should see it, but just because I'm interested in what your reaction is. You know, there was mixed opinion about it, but a lot of, most people liked it. But ironically, but the band didn't like it. The Blockheads didn't like it because it wasn't totally accurate. But I was, um, you know, I, 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 I'm 
you know, I, 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 you see me in the film or an actor playing me. So funny enough, I, I actually have a cameo in one in, in one wow. scene. But and it's about Ian, and um, so I did the score for that, and it was nominated for a BAFTA, which is a kind of, you know, an right English on. award. Sure. And it's mm-hmm. great. But the upside of that is I get to see films every Christmas. Well, actually, it's, it's for another year I do. Um, all films are nominated for Bavastas. So every Christmas, I I have an avalanche of you know uh-huh. mo- top you know a lot of very good movies to watch. Sure. So it sort of takes care of Christmas, those those quiet, dull moments. You know, the festive yeah. period. You know. Yeah, it's a nice um, problem to have. I did I did do a documentary a little while ago, but the thing is with uh, film soundtrack, you know, um, scoring, you you have to dedicate yourself to it. It's not a part time thing, mm-hmm. and the reason is this: is um, you know, when you when you when you're hot, you're hot, and so when you're doing a movie, um, the liability, the, the possible, sorry, the the the, the um, what will ge- generally happen is your agent will be able to pick, will get be able to get you another gig well, gotcha. because you you, you know he's, oh, he can say oh you know he's working on a movie at the moment oh that's yeah. something new so then he'll come back with another um, potential movie for you to score the thing is you might be absolutely exhausted um, but you can't afford to say no mm-hmm. um, you've got to say yes and this is the thing it's a it's, it's a big commitment you, you, you're yeah. not. Um, it's not a part-time okay. thing. And I think, you know, your Danny Elfman's and, yeah. you know, um, Hans Zimmer's, they, they've dedicated their lives to it. And, and, and um, to be honest, I'm, I'm a very lucky butterfly. I'm, I, yeah. you know, in, in as much as I've, I've flitted all over the place um, uh-huh. and, got, and got away with it, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but um, sure you know, most people just, you know, like dedicate themselves to one thing or another. And, I, and that's... Yeah, that's what you you have the freedom to follow every whim. That's why that's where the Joe Jackson comparison comes for me. I don't know how you feel about that, but he's a guy who just he's touched everything and he does what he wants basically. And you he's know, got a core group that follows him everywhere, uh, right or wrong. It's you know, yeah, yeah. Funny enough, uh, a friend of mine actually in the Blockhead sent me a a link to uh, Joe Jackson performing one of the Blockhead songs in between his, which was really? on. Um, yeah, it was the first song on Do It Yourself, which was uh-huh. the second in doing Do a Blockheads album. Um, yeah, it's called In Betweenies. And yeah, uh, yeah. Joe's wow. doing that, yeah. I've never met him, but I, I bet oh, I will. Now okay. we, we, we will. I'm sure we will at some point. <laughs> it's out there. He's going to find this podcast and seek you down, I'm sure of it. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, look, one last question. So the submarine has surfaced. Uh, mm. You know, I thought that was just as fresh and interesting and musically important as anything you were doing before, I thought it was kind of amazing that you've maintained this level of quality, at least from what I could tell. I mean, again, a lot of your stuff's out of print. It's hard to find, but um, the stuff that I have been able to take in. to address that and what I'm going to do is because I know what you're saying um, where do you find this stuff okay yeah. I'm actually I'm actually going to 
get really good copies of my first albums and I'm going to get them digitized and then put them up on my and, and get some vinyl get some vinyl made and put them up on my website chazjankel.com c-h-a-z-j-a-n-k-e-l.com and they'll good. be only there for, for, for you know for, for, for purchase there right um um, yeah, because at the moment... Stuff has to get out um, there. It's, it's great. Yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I'm... You know, I tell you what, with me, whatever I'm doing is potentially, the, you know, it's the best thing I've ever done. I mean, that's how I work. You know, I, and I, I think that helps because, you know, I, I sort of give it everything as I'm working yeah. on it. And then, and then it goes back. And I think maybe that explains why, you know, everything I do has a has a level of commitment and passion about it um it doesn't necessarily mean everything is going to be you know hugely successful but it means right. at the time of doing there was a, you know there was a real commitment you know yeah. to it yeah. and um you know i mean i'm just as excited about this new song i'm you know i'm going to put the lyric you know sing in a moment um as i was when i was doing i know Corita, you know yeah. and i i think that i think in a way um you know that that's how I tick, and it, and it's great as a you know to, as an up for term, as an attitude and a way of living for an artist. But I think for people living around you, um, it, it, it sometimes can be a bit frustrating because mm. they, yeah. they they're probably because there's not a lot of planning involved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, look, I know um, you got to go, but I uh, I am so appreciative of you giving me your time, and I I can't. I mean, I'm not blowing smoke. I, discovering your work has been very profound for me, mm-hmm. and I Thank cannot you. wait to uh, to just immerse myself in everything I can get my hands on. It is oh, fascinating, well, amazing you, stuff to me. Just as a yeah. footnote, you know, if you want a little bit of nice little sort of footnote. Sure. The reason, I can tell you the, the reason the block, Ian and the Dury, the Blockheads, were never, you know, a big band in America, right? The reason is, um, the, the, Hit Me With Your Rhythm Stick was number one in, mm-hmm. in England. It was a massive song in 1978. And uh, on the back of that, we were on Stiff Records, and, um, you know, it was a huge independent label hit. And so Ian went over to the States and did a tour with Lou Reed, opening up for <sighs> Lou Reed. Okay, I, 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 I was producing another band at the time, so I, I just joined them in New York at the end of the gigs. And, and I have to say, they didn't, they looked the worst for wear. They all looked sort of grey, tones of grey. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Not, 50, not 50 shades, but about 10 <laughs> shades of grey, right? Right, right? So anyway, so, so I turn up, you know, at the last gig, and Clive Davis was, you know, CBS, had been invited uh-huh. down to see the band, right? So it's with a view uh-huh. of them being, you know, like sure. the band going on with CBS and um, he was told don't come into the dressing room till after to give the band 10 minutes at least after they come off stage just so they can you know like dry themselves off you know what I mean yeah. come back down to earth it, it, all, all music artists need time just to kind of you know reclimatize themselves anyway he didn't follow the advice right he can't bound the room with his with his friend and he's standing in there everyone's a bit sort of off Sort of balance and Ian Dury had this minder called Cosmo Vinyl who went on to <laughs> uh, uh, you know went on to manage uh, The Clash 
Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, and, and not really knowing what was going on. <laughs> he, he, he went, to, you know, Clive Davis is standing there and he's chatting away and he goes to the back of Clive Davis's neck and pulls on the, the collar of his shirt and goes, yeah, you know, look, I told you so. It's a Brooks Brothers. It's Brooks Brothers. And Clive <laughs> Davis apparently hated anybody going anywhere near him, you know, unless he wanted uh-huh. it, you know, you know, he was actually, you know, all these people just can't stand to be touched. Uh-huh. He's furious. He stormed out the room and the next day, you know, the, you know, the, the, I think Ian's manager got a phone call saying, um, we, you know, we, we were absolutely, you know, like horrified uh-huh. by Clive was, you know, treated last night um, and any business steal is off. Yeah. Really? Yep. And that was it. That was the end of that. That was the, the end rest- of, like, potential in America. Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. I know. And I only uh, found that out, actually, a few, a few years ago. But I thought it was such, a, it was such an amusing story. <laughs> you know, I thought, oh, you know, it's worth it as a footnote. You know, like... Totally. You know, you know so many of the bands that I've talked to, um, again, you know, most of them had kind of brief careers or at least, at least brief peaks to their careers. And yeah. so often it's a similar story. It's something political that is out of their control that has nothing to do with them. It's, you know, two people within the company arguing or it's a new A&R guy that no one likes yeah. or, you yeah. know, it's something, it's always something. It's never the artist mm-hmm. not performing or not, you know, mm-hmm. bringing good stuff. It's always something else mm-hmm. that's outside of them. Yeah. That must be well, frustrating. We, you know- it is, and I think it's the reason also why why you know some artists are f- successful, some have been ripped off. You know, it's all yeah. of, it's this world, isn't it? You can have two people, one will smile at you, uh, smile at you, uh, and give you nice fives. The next person won't. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. the way of the world. It's just yeah. you, you could have twins from the same family, same background, and one will be chilled out, nice, easygoing person, and the next person will want to rule the world, you know. Sometimes there's no rhyme or reason, you know. It's true. It's true. I don't know if you you find that. Yeah, Yeah, I do. Uh, All right, have a good day, sir. Take care. Thank you again. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. All right, Chaz Jankel. I'm a fan for life of this guy. I Since talking to him, I found those early 80s solo albums of his online. Just like everything else, they're amazing. I mean, think about that. Quincy Jones, of all people, covers one of your songs and has one of his biggest hits of his career with it. Wouldn't that blow your mind? Anyway, he's an amazing, amazing musician. So much funk and soul coming from this, this British guy. It's mind-blowing to me. Anyway, uh, next week we're going to be talking to a guy named Rick Spina. He was the lead singer of a rock group in the late 70s, early 80s called Love Affair. They they never really broke out. They had some patches of regional success. Um, it kind of dwindled. Um, they He started tr- trying kind of a few other things. Nothing really got off the ground. He eventually got a job as a sideman for an oldies act. And he's been doing that for like the last 30 years. And I think that's an interesting fork in the road of your career. You go from being the front man and primary songwriter of a very modern for its time rock group, but you give that up for the steady paycheck 
of playing keyboards in an oldies act. Interesting stuff. Uh, big thanks to Aaron Syrett, as always, for producing the podcast. Please find us online. Like our Facebook page. Send us a message on Facebook. Send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. Tune in. Find us on iTunes. Write a review. Please subscribe. And the review can be good or bad. I just really want to hear some feedback from you people. Uh, let us know who you would like us to find. Thanks, everybody. Bye, bye, bye.